I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into Matthew 5. Um, I'm going to read it after we pray in its entirety, because we are in part 4 of 4, looking at the Beatitudes. So um, I'll do a little background before we jump in. Let me pray, though. Lord, thank you for today. Um, Thank you for the privilege of being able to stand here and proclaim your word. I know that um, there's nothing in me that's certainly worthy of this. And so I appreciate God and thank you for the opportunity that you would give me to preach. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me this morning. Um, I pray that you would fill me with the spirit and that everything I say would be true and helpful. I pray, Lord, that where we press in um, and look at some places in our lives that aren't fully submitted to you, that you would help me do this with grace, not with um, arrogance, that I would trust the Spirit to do His work, that I don't need to do the Spirit's work, and I'll never be able to do it as well as Him, or as tender as Him, or as um, with as the conviction that He brings. And so, Lord, help me just preach truth and trust the Spirit. The things, God, that um, would not be helpful keep me from those. Lord, I, I submit this time to you completely. I pray for myself and everyone here as we hear from your word, as we look at your words, God breathed words that are living and active and totally applicable to our lives right now in this moment on a Sunday morning, that these words would come alive in the depths of our soul. Holy Spirit, would you move in the hearts of people here who don't know you this morning and regenerate them. May they be born again to an understanding of who Christ is. And for those that do know Jesus, may these words bring life to their souls. I love you, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And here's what's going on. Uh, Matthew is writing this book to people who are Jewish. um, And they understand the Old Testament scriptures. And Matthew, uh, they understood that there's a, they're supposed to be, these Jews understood that there's a coming Messiah that's going to be the person that's going to be the promised one of the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament's full of promises saying there's, there's someone coming. There's someone coming who is going to be the Messiah, the Savior, the one who's going to die for us and, and, and save us from our sins. And so Matthew is writing this gospel as an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. Um, and he's pointing to, to those people who are Jewish saying, this guy that lived named Jesus is that guy you've been looking for. And so we, we've kind of gone through the first four chapters where we've seen the beginning stages of this man named Jesus. We've seen his birth. We've seen his baptism, and now we're coming up to where he has begun some of his public ministry, um, and specifically, we see in chapter 4.23, where he starts proclaiming his message, and in 4.23, his message is, you can see, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. He's wanting them to know what the good news of the kingdom of, of God is, and that it is he, Jesus, who has come to save everyone. And now he's going into a sermon, his first sermon, and he's going to explain the gospel of the kingdom over the next three chapters, chapter 5, 6, and 7. He's going to explain what that means, the gospel of the kingdom. 
And here, where we are, the Beatitudes um, are the, the introduction to the rest of the sermon. And um, the Beatitudes, one through chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, are the centerpiece of the sermon. If we can understand the Beatitudes, well, the rest of the Beatitudes are just an unpacking of this first section. And so what we've realized over the last three weeks and now the fourth, that is, if we understand the Beatitudes, we understand the entire Sermon on the Mount. Really, we understand the entire message of Jesus. We understand the gospel of the kingdom, and we understand what it means to be a Christian. So we understand the Beatitudes. We understand everything about what it means to be a Christian. So here we are, and we're going to be doing today the last few verses, 9 through 12, but let's read it in its entirety, um, and so you can see what his first words are as, he's, as he preaches what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes. So Jesus, seeing the crowds, <coughs> he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, giving them life, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the, those who persecute blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil um, against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you so here we've come to um the last two, the last two that we've seen basically eight Beatitudes given to us. And now, starting in verse nine, we're going to look at the last two. And these last two um, are true of you, just like uh, the first six are true of you. However, um, if you're honest, uh, you're going to see that these last two comparative to the first six um, you may not see these last two um, as manifestly as you would see the previous six in your life, if you're honest. Um, if you look at the first six, you'll see that you'll recognize that I have been poor in spirit. I have mourned. Let, let's just kind of rehearse really fast. What are the previous six? I'm going to pull open my, uh, my notes here, and we're going to go through um, the previous six really fast and let you see um, what, what's going on. And the way that we frame this is, um, as we looked at these Beatitudes, we're not saying these Beatitudes are things that now that you're a Christian, you're supposed to pursue. Now that you're a Christian, pursue this. Because the, the Beatitudes don't come to us um, as in, well, here's a big list of things. Let me pick the ones that I think fit me. Um, the, the Beatitudes are coming to you saying, all of these things are now true of you as a Christian. All of these, we don't get to choose. We have to say all of them are true of us. And so I'm not saying, so since all of these things are true of you, be these things. We're actually saying, and this is what the gospel of the kingdom is trying to remind us. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have believed the gospel, you are these things. Not you have to be these things. So there's a real 
understanding that these are not things that we're to do. Rather, by God's grace, these are things that you are. So the first one that we saw is, if you believed in the gospel, you are poor in spirit. Which means you are literally understanding the reality that you're morally bankrupt. That there is nothing in you that will pursue God outside of His grace helping you pursue Him. You are poor in spirit. Therefore, if you are poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Now, don't miss this first one in, in, in verse 3 because I've shown this before, but I don't want you to miss. Um, the pr- each, each one of these beatitudes is blessed and then there's a little promise. In verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. So you are, if you have believed the gospel, poor in spirit. There, there is no am I, you are. And notice what it says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, look at the last one in verse 10. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake. Same thing, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it begins and ends with theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's intentional. Jesus is doing that on purpose because everything that falls in is a description of the kingdom of heaven. So we want to make sure we understand that. So the first characteristic that the gospel brings in your life is that you are poor in spirit. The next one is, and notice these first six, okay? Notice as we're going through these first six that these are things that we will say, I have seen that in my life. I've seen that, not all the time, but yeah, I have seen that in my life. I have been literally aware of the fact that I am poor in spirit. It has been revealed to me by God's grace that He is holy and I am not. Alright, next one. If you believe the gospel, you are mournful for sin, therefore you will be comforted. The, the first two are, go hand in hand. Whenever we realize ourselves in light of God, it makes us mourn for our sin. And that's one that all of us have experienced at some time. Number three, if you have believed in the gospel, you are meek. Therefore, you will inherit the earth. Meekness is gentleness. This is not going to have my agenda, but I am willing to um, let go of my agenda for the sake of someone greater, namely Jesus. And there has been times in your life, if you're a Christian, where you can say, yes, that's definitely happened. I want that. But here's the third one. If you have believed the gospel, you are meek, not you should be meek. So pursue meekness. And we also said meekness is not weakness. Jesus was very meek, but very strong. Um, So you are meek. The fourth one is this. If you have believed the gospel, you do hunger and thirst for righteousness and you will be satisfied. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is that now that you are a Christian, now that you have put your faith in Jesus' work on the cross for your salvation, the truth is is that you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I know and, and you know that that's not every moment. There are times where, and you may say, well, it seems like it's hardly any moments. But the truth is, if you are a Christian... You do hunger and thirst for righteousness. All right. The fifth one is this. I'm having to go through these quick because we will spend a good bit of time on, on seven and eight. If you have believed the gospel, you are merciful because you have received mercy. You are merciful because you have received mercy. You will have manifestly in your life acts of mercy. You will feel merciful to those who are less fortunate and you will feel merciful to those who have sinned against you. You will be able to, by the power of the Spirit, to extend mercy because God has extended you mercy to those who have sinned against you. And then, lastly, number six, if you have believed the gospel, you are pure in heart and you will see God. You will see God. 
And this is pretty amazing, this, this sixth one. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, this is undoubtedly one of the greatest utterances to be found anywhere in the whole realm of Scripture, that you would be and I would be called pure of heart and that we will see God. But this is true. This is what's true. I'm not saying, Christians, so pursue purity of heart. I'm saying you are purity of heart. You have that in your life. Now, um, that's the first six of them. And if we're honest and we look at those, then we'll say the first six I do see manifestly in my life at times, but some of you, and, and some of you may not have ever seen these last two in your life. And that should leave you and I adding, asking the question, why? Why is it that I have seen, um, at times, though not maybe not often, why is it that I see the first six, but I don't see myself being a peacemaker ever? And we're going to talk about what that, what that means. And I don't see myself being persecuted for the faith. Why? All right. We're going to get into that for a second. Um, but as always, I want to... Um, I've done this every week, and I just want to make sure we see it, that these things, these, uh, these Beatitudes come to us as a description of a Christian. Um, as a whole, these things are true of us. However, there's also not just a random list put in some kind of thrown about order, but God um, had a specific idea that there's a progression in these as well as he wrote these Beatitudes. This is a description of a man who comes to Christ, and then as he goes through that that um, conversion, and now he is living for Christ. It, it's a progression of the entire thing, and I want you to see this. Um, the man who doesn't know Jesus, uh, God regenerates his heart. God shows him the beauty of Jesus. God shows him the beauty of the gospel. And then that man becomes poor in spirit. He recognizes that he is sinful. He mourns for, for his sin. He realizes that he needs to be meek and not have his own agenda, but submit himself to God. And then he realizes that when he does that, he will inherit the earth, which is not now, but the new heaven and earth. And then that happens. He finds himself now that he's never experienced these, these, these desires, but he is now hungering, thirsting for righteousness, an alien righteousness, an, an, a righteousness that he can't find within himself that can only come from someone else, namely Jesus. So he's hungry and thirsting for righteousness. He pleads to God for mercy. He wants to now um, have mercy given to him from God. God extends this mercy to him. And now God has called him pure in heart. And he seeks holiness. And he's banking now on the promise that one day he will see God because he has been called pure in heart. And now that he is pure in heart, he becomes a peacemaker. Now we've entered into the life of the Christian that the life of the Christian is patterned with I am now a peacemaker, and as I'm a peacemaker, I will receive persecution. And that's, that's the thing that we're going to go through here, and specifically these last two that I want us to see and what this looks like. So, here we are. Verse number 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So here's the seventh truth that the gospel brings, or the seventh beatitude is this. If you have believed in the gospel... You are a peacemaker. You are a peacemaker. And I'm not saying that you're a pacifist. I'm saying you are a peacemaker. You may be a pacifist, but it doesn't mean that everybody has to be a pacifist that is a Christian. So we're going to get into what this means. But if you have believed in the gospel, you are a peacemaker and you are a son of God. And <laughs> that promise right there is pretty amazing. So 
This is not blessing. When we say blessed are those who are peacemakers, this is not blessing the peaceful. We're not ble- God is not blessing those who are quiet. This is blessing the peacemakers. And there's a difference. Um, and let's just remember that Jesus is the ultimate prince of peace. He is the best peacemaker in the world. So what does this mean? There's, there's two senses in which we're going to understand this. The first one is very obvious, and it's where most of us will, will obviously think, because we have texts in the Scriptures that tell us that we need to be at peace with people. And there's three of them right here on the screen. You can just read them really fast. Um, clear text telling us that we need to be peacemakers. Um, in 1 Peter 3.11, seek peace and pursue it. So we're under a biblical warrant as people who live on this earth and citizens of this earth um, to seek peace. The next one in Hebrews 12, strive for peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the first sense as a peacemaker that we're supposed to understand is that Christians do seek peace here. Um, we don't just turn a blind eye to conflict, but we step in and we bring peace where there needs to be peace. That's why it's not just peaceful, because peaceful people will be quiet and not step into conflict. Christians are to be um, the level-headed person that steps in. Um, They're not claiming that they're uh, more spiritual because they're peacemakers. They're being like Christ, and that's just being normal to be a peacemaker. So this is the first sense that we're supposed to understand, is that when there are things that happen in life, Christians don't just say, well, good luck from that. I don't like conflict. I'm just going to run over here and y'all, y'all can figure that out. Um, Christians do step in level-headed and pursue peace, no matter how difficult. That is what Christians do. And that's the one sense. But there's a second sense in which I think is um, far more weighty. Maybe it's, this is the more grand sense that peacemaking is. It means... Peacemaking is that we are promoting God's messianic peace. Which means this. We are not pursuing peace with man and man. Christians are peacemakers in that we are pursuing peace with God and men that don't know God. We are, who are Christians, seeking out to find people that don't know Jesus and reconciling them to God because they are not at peace with God if they don't know Christ yet. So in its grandest sense, we are seeking the ultimate level of peace that provides eternal life for people, which means we are reconciling man and God. And that's only to be done by the gospel. All right, let me give you a couple texts that talk about this, um, that give you an understanding of exactly what I'm talking about. Um, One's in Ephesians, one's in Colossians. They'll both be up here on the screen. Ephesians 2, 14 through 17 says, For he himself, talking about Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What that means is, in the Old Testament, people were pursuing right standing with God by law-keeping, by keeping the ordinances. And he's saying, no longer, and that's what the whole, um, so the whole Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is trying to help us see, that right standing with God is not dependent upon your ability to law-keep. Jesus has come and obliterated the need for law-keeping. The law brings death. 
not righteousness. All of us know that because when we see any of the commandments, we see I break those. So anyway, he has come to tell us that we don't need to law keep in order to be righteous, that we need Jesus. We need faith in Jesus. And if we put our faith in his work on the cross, his death and his resurrection, and that he died our death and that all of his righteousness can be imputed to us by if we put our faith in him, then we can be declared righteous by God and we will have right standing with God, not by law, but by the gospel, by the good news, by faith in Jesus. And that is bringing peace with God because we were hostile to God. If we look at the law and we don't keep them, the, the, the moment that you choose to break the law of God, you have now become an enemy and hostile to God. You wouldn't put it in those categories. You would never say, when you break the law, I hate you, God. But that's what you are doing. These are the biblical categories that it tells us. You break one law, you're an enemy, you're hostile, you're, you're following the prince of the power of the air, you're, you're following Satan, as Ephesians 2 will say. You would not put it in those categories. But it doesn't matter what categories we put it in. <laughs> it matters what categories God puts it in in the Bible. So that's why this is huge. Peacemaking is no small deal when it comes to reconciling God and man. Because man, if they don't know Jesus, they are hostile to God. They cannot submit to God's law. So this is huge for us. And we need to have peace. Man needs to have peace if they don't know Jesus. And how is this going to happen? Verse 16. Uh, we're making peace by and, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, here it is, killing the hostility. I'm not hostile to God. Yes, you are. If you don't know Jesus, you are hostile to God. I know you wouldn't say that. But the Bible is describing you as that. And God's word is true. And then this is what it says, And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. He preached peace. If you don't know Jesus, you're hostile to God. But you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God by putting your faith in Christ. And so we need to be peacemakers. We need to go and proclaim this message to the people that don't know Jesus. And if you tell someone that they're hostile to God and they don't know Jesus, and you may be right now a little ticked at me for saying that. You're hostile to God because you don't know him. I understand your first thought is anger towards that, but, but don't. And I'm praying now, Holy Spirit, soften hearts and don't, don't create anger, but come now in comfort. Let me give you another text in Colossians 1. For in him all the fullness of God, this is speaking of Jesus, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is telling us that this man, Jesus, was 100% God and 100% man. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in this man, Jesus. And then it says, And through him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus' cross creates peace for those who put their faith in him. So Christian, you are a peacemaker. You have been given the task of peacemaking. This is not an option. This is not a, maybe I'll do it if I have time. I've got a lot of things going on right now at work. You are a peacemaker. 
Being a peacemaker means that you actively bring peace between God and man by frequently, as often as you can, proclaiming the gospel to those who do not know Jesus. That's what being a peacemaker is. It's not being a good guy. It's not being nice. It's proclaiming with your mouth the words of the gospel to people who do not know Jesus as often as the Lord provides opportunities to you. This is a, uh, a text from 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to see this because this is just carrying on the idea that we're ambassadors now, that we are given the task of being the mediator, not the mediator, the ambassador for God, where we are trying to reconcile God to man. This is what it says. Therefore, we, am, we are ambassadors for Christ, seeking peace. God making his appeal through us. The Lord making his, his appeal to people who are hostile. We implore you. We are literally saying this sentence to people. We implore you on behalf of Christ, and it's Jesus speaking to us, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 is an amazing statement. I mean, it's amazing. Think about this. You are a peacemaker if you are a Christian. You may not have ever sought peace between God and man with someone that doesn't know it, but the truth is that you are. And God himself is making his appeal through you. You have the privilege as you share the gospel with someone to even think right now, God himself is making a plea through me to this person to be reconciled to God. Do I really have to be a peacemaker, Fudd? Because that seems, that seems pretty crazy. That seems pretty crazy. Let me read a, te- uh, a quote from you from Sinclair Ferguson. He said, evangelism, and that's just another word for being a peacemaker. That means proclaiming the gospel, being someone who evangelizes. Euangelion is the Greek word. Evangelism, euangelion, just means the gospel. And so you are a gospel speaker. Evangelism is not an option. Now, this is key. Don't miss this, okay? Because you may not have the gift of evangelism. I I had a guy in seminary. um, His name was Noah. And everywhere we went, it did not matter. Every single place we went. And he was a new convert. And I've been a Christian since I was eight. He was going to be talking about the gospel with someone. It just was so frustrating to me. He's like, how does he do that? We went went to a a school. We went to a a ball game, and I'm just kind of talking about football, and I'm going over to Noah's conversation, and he's already like knee-deep in the gospel and how we're, we're enemies of the Lord. I'm like, how do you do this all the time, Noah? Now, so listen, this is very helpful because not every one of you has the gift of evangelism, although all of us have the responsibility of evangelism if you're a Christian. Listen to this. Evangelism, in whatever form, is an integral part of being a Christian. That little whatever form Sinclair throws in, I know it's not the Bible, but it's a, it's a helpful distinction to throw out. All right. Because we've all experienced the peace of God, we all must be peacemakers. So let's just get a little practical for a second what this might mean. For some of you, where you are, being a peacemaker, literally the best that you can do and God will be absolutely pleased with you is an invitation to church. Is that peacemaking? Maybe. Maybe you can't and you're scared to death of sharing the words of the gospel with someone. And what you can do is go to someone who doesn't know Jesus and say, will you come to church with me? Because you know that if they come to a church that preaches Jesus, they will hear the gospel. And that's, that's evangelism in a sense. It might be a passive form, not an active, but it is a place to begin. It is a place. 
serving them is a form of learning how to share the gospel. But if we only serve and we don't tell them about Jesus, we haven't done anything eternal yet. So let's just, let's re- I want to be very graceful here and realize that not all of you are Billy Graham. <laughs> None of us might be ever Billy Graham. We're not ever going to just preach to 50,000 people at once and they all come down as um, Beverly or George Beverly Shea sings Just As I Am. But you have the opportunity. I just like missed most of y'all with all that, um, showing my age. Um, who is that guy? Um, anyway, you will have opportunities. You will have opportunities. I promise you, you will have opportunities to be a peacemaker. Let me give you an idea on how to, how to find those opportunities. This is not magic. This is not, in, this is not very like, insightful at all. All right? This is just an obvious thing that I have seen over the course of my life. If I pray in the morning, God, I know that I'm going to have opportunities to share the gospel today. And I know if I don't ask you to show them to me, I will not do it. I will miss it. I will be in my own world the whole day operating on Operation FUD. I don't want to operate on Operation FUD. I want to operate on Operation Jesus. So as I go through my day-to-day, please... Just sound the alarms everywhere. This is the opportunity to share the gospel. Please, Jesus, this morning. And if you will pray something to that effect every morning, God will give you opportunities. You will have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And I'm not saying this is the mysterious, like, I don't even know you person. You got to go knock on their door and, and they come out and you're like, hey, can I come in for a minute? And they're like, who are you? It's not, I'm not saying that. I mean, maybe... Maybe it is, but I would be surprised. I mean, I'd be surprised. More than likely, it's going to be someone you already know. Someone that's at your office or in your family or your next door neighbor that when you're going out to get the mail or you're at the water cooler, that you're going to be able to speak some truth of Jesus to them about the gospel. So look for those opportunities because peacemaking is not... Peacemaking is not, well, I guess I'm supposed to do that maybe. Peacemaking is this is who you are. All right, so here's the promise. If you are a peacemaker, then you shall be called a son of God. This is huge and amazing because in Jewish thought here, remember Matthew speaking to those who are Jewish, to be called a sons of God doesn't just literally mean you're, you know, you're born in the family. There's more to it. This means that you are a partaker of the character of the father. That's pretty awesome. So he says, you are a son of God if you're a peacemaker. You are literally partaking in the character of Jesus. Which is going to get you into the next beatitude. So the emphasis more here is the character of the person than the relationship that you're talking about. The familiar relationship. Though we're not excluding the familiar relationship. You are a son or daughter of God if you're a peacemaker. Familiarly. Familiarly. Whatever. Um, in the family, but you are also being more so spoken to the character. You have the character now of the Father. So blessed are you. Awesome. Now, we have reached what is, I would say, the climax of the Beatitudes, the last one. Um, And we're going to see that this is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And what I want you to notice here is that every single one of the previous ones, all of verse 7, have a positive connotation to them. Um, 
poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. All those things have a positive feel to them. This next one does not have a positive feel to it. Persecution. Not necessarily the most positive thought. So this one is a little bit different. So you're asking, is this a positive description or is it not? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. If you are a peacemaker and you are now saying that you have the character of the Son of God, then this next beatitude makes sense. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the eighth thing. Here's the eighth one. If you have believed in the gospel, you will be persecuted. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is yours. You will be persecuted. Now, this is especially in America, in the year 2011, sometimes puzzling for us. Because, <laughs> I mean, honestly, what does that mean? I'm persecuted? Well, first of all, don't miss the, the, context, the, the context. Peacemaking and persecution go hand in hand. So if you're not peacemaking, you will not expect to see persecution. All right, so don't miss that little connection between the two verses. Let me give you another verse here um, that just kind of backs up Jesus' words. Not that Jesus needs back, his words backed up, but he also wrote the rest of the Bible. So here's another, here's another text in 2 Timothy. If you believe in the gospel, you will be persecuted. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 3.12. And Jesus says it for Paul because he was carried along by the Holy Spirit as he wrote. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire... Now, that's not a coffee cup mu- verse but all who desire to live in a who desire to live in a godly life will be persecuted this is a promise this is a promise from god if you are a peacemaker and you are pursuing a godly life in jesus christ you are going to be persecuted d.a carson says that this beatitude serves as a test for all the beatitudes you will be persecuted if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven you will be persecuted there's a story of a guy named John Wesley. He lived um, a few hundred years ago. Um, he was a, a traveling evangelist, and he was praying in the bushes, and he was weeping because it had, he had gone a few days, and he hadn't received any persecution. Um, and he was thinking, because he w- hadn't been persecuted, that he must be out of the will of God. I'm out of the will of God because I haven't been persecuted. Um, and as he's praying, and he's saying, God, what sin is it that I've done? Please let me know what I've done. I just... I don't like that I haven't been persecuted. It means that I've done something that I don't know. And as he's praying, um, some men walking by who weren't Christians saw him praying and they got angered and they didn't like him that he was a Christian. So they started throwing rocks at him. Um, and so he began praising God in prayer. Thank you, Lord. I know that I'm now in your will because I'm receiving the persecution right now. Pray, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not, I don't have sin. Um, pretty funny story. Um, but here's the deal. That's that's later. Let, let's look at let's look at some context here and, and think about this for a second. OK, this is the first sermon of Jesus. This is the beginning of his ministry. And it says in verse one, his disciples came to him. Disciples here just means the people that have been following him around. These are people that, that want to hear Jesus's message. But I mean, this is the beginning of his ministry. Not necessarily everybody's bought in yet. All right. And as he's telling them, um, 
Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. They are hearing this exactly the way you think they're hearing this. They are hearing Jesus talk and they're like, wait a second. Um, those other things sound okay, but now you're saying if I follow you, I'm going to be persecuted. Huh. What do they do? Like, what do they do? Let's just, I want to give you a rundown of some of the things of the people that were closest to Jesus. Let me let you hear this. Um, Stephen, now he lived in, a little bit later on. Stephen was stoned and some 2,000 other Christians also suffered at the time of Stephen's persecution. James, the son of Zebedee, he was beheaded in 44 AD. These are the people that decided to say, okay, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and I'm going to trust that this is true. And this is what happens. Philip was crucified in 54 AD. Matthew, who wrote this, was killed by a two-handed sword that had an axe at the base in 60 AD. James was beaten to death by a club after being crucified and stoned. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Mark was beaten to death. Um, Paul was beheaded in Rome. And, and Peter, by the way, um, who was crucified upside down, understood this particular beatitude where it says, Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And first Peter, he wrote something very similar sounding twice. He wrote, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And he also said, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And he was crucified upside down. Um, Jude was crucified, Bartholomew was crucified, Thomas was killed, ironically, by a spear, um, Luke was hanged, Simon was crucified, and um, Timothy, tradition tells us that he was beaten severely and he died in Ephesus, and lastly, John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, the only one that actually didn't die as a martyr, um, was boiled in hot oil but survived and lived to an old age exiled to the Isle of Patmos. So these people who hear this, you will be persecuted, understood it be true, and literally lived that out. They literally lived that out. They were treated wrongly because of their faith, and they were persecuted because of the righteousness that they were pursuing. Now, this does not mean, persecution does not mean these things. If you are persecuted for righteousness' sake... Um, it means that you're being persecuted for, on account of Jesus' sake. It does not mean that if you're being rude or you're being insulting or you're being foolish um, that, and people react to you negatively to that kind of attitude, it, that does not mean you're being persecuted. Um, it does not mean that if you're just being a good person and then you receive what you could be perceiving as persecution, that you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Um, being good, non-Christians can be good. Non-Christians cannot be righteous like Jesus. So we're not just talking about being good. We're, we're talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's key. Um, James Boyce was actually commenting specifically here about what persecution isn't. And he says this, Persecution is not, it's not persecution today when Christians are snubbed for pushing tracts onto people who don't want them. He says, um, or it's not persecution if someone insults you in the, the midst of a religious argument. And it's also not persecution if you're poking into the affairs of people where you're not invited and they don't want you. 
He says those things are not um, persecution. Hint, hint, Westboro. But anyway, um, I want you to see this here because verse 10 and verse 11 has this little transition that's pretty amazing. And I don't want you to miss the shift from third person to second person because Jesus is going to drive it in and make it very personal for you and I. Third person, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he shifts it to second person, which means, you know, because we're all, might be public school, South Carolina, like I, that means he's going to start saying you. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what does this literally really look like for us today? It does mean that your family can receive ridicule. It does mean that you can be ostracized by your relatives. It can mean that you will have less friends in your neighborhood and workplace. It can mean that you are not going to get the promotion at work because you're not willing to play the cutthroat game. Because you are being persecuted for righteousness sake. Righteousness sake means literally, just like sons of God, you have the character of Jesus. Righteousness sake means that you are living out what it means to look like and act like Jesus. And you're being persecuted for that. So when you live righteously, you may be persecuted. It means that, like verse 11 says, others will revile you. It means that others will lie about you and say false things about you. It can mean can mean that you receive persecution. I want to read a story to you in 1555. There's a man named Thomas, and he's in prison um, with another guy. And he says, Thomas, and his friend lowered his voice so as not to be heard by the guard. I have a favor to ask you. I need to know if what the others say about the grace of God is true. These are two men who are in prison, and they're going to be killed for their faith. Tomorrow... Thomas, when they burn you at the stake, if the pain is tolerable and your mind is still at peace, lift your hands above your head. Do it right before you die, Thomas. I have to know. I need to know if the grace of God is true when they're killing you. Thomas Halker whispered to his friend, I will do it. The next morning, Thomas Halker was bound to the stake and the fire was lit. The fire burned a long time, but Halker, Thomas Halker remained motionless. His skin was burnt to a crisp and his fingers were gone. Everyone watching supposed he was dead. Suddenly, miraculously, Thomas lifted his hands, still on fire, over his head. He reached them up to the living God and then, with great rejoicing, with great rejoicing, put both of his hands in the air and started clapping, telling his friend that it's worth to be persecuted for Christ. And the whole place erupts with shouts of praise as they watch their friend be persecuted. It may mean that. And don't miss the reality that outside of America, that is the reality for many Christians. More people were persecuted in the 21st century for their faith than the first 20 centuries combined outside of America. So it does mean exactly what we're thinking. People might be put to death because of their faith. It just might not mean that for you and I. Because we live here. So praise Jesus, we live here. And we're not saying, don't miss this now, I'm not saying 
feel guilty because you're not persecuted to death. I'm not saying that. Don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is this. If you are not being persecuted, I'm not saying, Matthew 7 will get there, but I'm not saying this right now. I'm not saying if you're not being persecuted, you need to step back and ask yourself if you're really a Christian. I'm not saying that. The text isn't saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But let's look at what the text is saying. There's no reason to just kick you with conviction and say you're not a Christian. I will ask this question, though. The verse says that we will be persecuted because of righteousness sake, which means if we're not receiving persecution, I'll ask the question this way. Why are you not possibly displaying righteousness in your life? I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm saying, why is it that you might not be displaying righteousness in your life? Because if you're a peacemaker, you will be persecuted for righteousness sake. And persecution doesn't mean violence against you, though it could be violence with words. But you may be persecuted in some way. Now, James Boyce talks about um, exactly where we are right now, and I think this is so helpful. He calls them the little people, and that's you and I. I mean, the little people just literally means, you know, we have the ones that we think are like the awesome ones for Jesus that actually do you know, spend 14 years in jail and won't renounce their faith and they're burned and we, those are like the awesome Christians and we're the lowly ones, especially when we hear these, these kinds of verses and we're like, well, I'll never live up to that. I'm just the little person. Um, no one's ever going to kick me around or, you know, burn me or torture me for Jesus. And he says this, what about us? What about the ones who will never be great martyrs for the sake of the Lord? God sees the little martyrs, the little people, you and I, and the great ones. And he's pleased with every single one of us. You've got to know that this is so key. The gospel's so good. Your right standing with God is not based on your law keeping. He has declared you righteousness. But your right standing with God is not, is not based on how persecuted you are. It's based on Jesus. It's not based on how you keep law. And it's not based on your persecution. It's based on your belief in the fact that Jesus Christ paid your price on the cross and you are now 100% holy, 100% righteous and there could not ever be a day where God is not more pleased with you than right now. And now we're left to navigate, not left, but now we are have the Holy Spirit in us and we are walking through this life, navigating this process called sanctification, the moment we're saved till we die, trying to figure out how to pursue Jesus, live by the power of Spirit and bring glory to Jesus. And it may mean, it will mean persecution because you're a peacemaker. But what that looks like is interesting. Why do they persecute us? Because you live righteously. What are we supposed to do when we're persecuted? What are you supposed to do? Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what you're supposed to do. There's two things I want you to get out of that verse about what you're supposed to do. Number one, you're in good company. The prophets before you were persecuted. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you, if you're being persecuted. 
It's a pretty amazing thought. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice. Why should I rejoice? Because this is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. You wouldn't be persecuted if the Holy Spirit isn't at work at you. Yet, you don't rejoice because you're being persecuted. That, that hurts. You rejoice because the Spirit is at work at you, and you have been persecuted because the Spirit is at work in you. The second thing you do, you rejoice and be glad, but you also, look at that, for your reward in, is great in heaven. You bank on, you remember, and you hope in the reward in heaven. You remember what is promised to you. Jesus is promised to you. That's your great reward. God is the gospel. Jesus himself is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. That you will get Jesus when you die. That's what you do. You rejoice now because the Holy Spirit's at work. And you rejoice also because you have a promise. Philippians 1.29 says that you have been granted to suffer. We don't think of it as a gift. But it is. Because it gives us opportunity to remember that we are walking in the Spirit and that we have Jesus as our great reward one day. So what are we going to do here? The opening question that I asked was this. If I don't see peacemaking, I don't see a pattern in my life where I want to call those who are far from God to be... to to be reconciled to God. I don't see a pattern of evangelism in my life, and I certainly don't see a pattern of persecution. What does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that your life is over because you're sitting in this room right now. So what it means is this. Christian, don't miss this, okay? Because if you haven't had it in your life, don't miss this. You are a peacemaker. That's what it means. Today is the day to live into what is true. You are a peacemaker. And you will be persecuted. And this is good news. What it means is that you've been told by God to now, today, go therefore and make peace between God and man. It means that you will be persecuted. Perhaps the best and only thing you can do right now is ask God this morning that you would be more like Christ. You will be persecuted because of righteousness sake. If you are a peacemaker, it's showing that you are having the character of God. So the best thing that all of us can do right now, the, maybe the most applicable prayer that we can pray at this moment as we close is, God, I want to be a peacemaker and I know that persecution will come if that's the case. And I know that the text is showing me that I, I need to be a son of God and have be persecuted because of righteousness sake. So God, help me be more like Jesus right now. And I know that I'll live into those two things. That's the most applicable prayer that you and I can pray right now. Help me be more like Jesus right now in my sanctification, in my pursuing holiness in my living out becoming more like jesus in my holding true to what i have already attained you've already attained the righteousness of god now you're holding true now you're living that out and as you pray that the righteousness of god will shine through you that you will pursue that you plead you and i both plead holy spirit awaken 
my desire to be a peacemaker. Probably three billion people in the world don't know Jesus. Many of them in other countries. Awaken my desire to be a peacemaker to the ends of the earth. I need to display the righteousness of God, but Holy Spirit, I need the inward passion and desire to be a peacemaker to the three billion people that might have never even heard of Jesus. That's our prayer this morning. Cameron's going to lead us in worship. This is the time where we respond to God's word. And perhaps you need to pray those things. Pray for righteousness and a passion from the spirit to pursue peacemaking. And as you feel led, stand in worship with us. If you want to stand right now and sing and just cry out to Christ for the gospel, do that. If you don't know Jesus, if you know that you have been described as an enemy, hostile to God, instead of being angry, I invite you to please come and talk to me and let me explain to you the good news of how you can have peace with God. You can receive forgiveness because of your sin and be called a child of His. In whatever way the Holy Spirit's leading you right now, respond accordingly. If you need to sit and pray, you need to read the Scriptures, do that. But don't miss this, Christian, okay? Don't miss this. Jesus is pleased with you right now. He is absolutely pleased with you right now if you have put your faith in Jesus. So live in the reality of the Beatitudes. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious to us. I mean, I am just daily astounded amazed at how good you are. That as I go through life and I see day by day just how far I have to go, when I return to the truth of the gospel, that you are 100% pleased with me, that you have declared me righteous, it just amazes me. Let us live in this truth this morning. Let us stand... And worship Jesus because of the cross, not feeling condemned because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we have not experienced a pattern of peacemaking and persecution, we are not condemned. Let us stand and rejoice and praise Jesus that today is the day that we plead to live out a life of righteousness. And today is the day that we plead for the Holy Spirit to give us a passion and desire to be peacemakers in this world. And that we are not condemned because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with us now as we worship. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.